Ephesians 6, verse 4. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And thus far, the reading of God's word and all God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. Last Sunday, we looked at the negative part of this verse, do not provoke your children to wrath. And I think I'll summarize what I said last week, reminding you that while your children will inevitably provoke you on a regular basis, you may not provoke them. Now that is not easy. In fact, that's going to take the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in you to be able to not do that. So the negative part of this charge is is something that's going to require the grace of God and the power of God. But we're going to see that the positive part of this command is going to be equally difficult and likewise require your utter reliance upon Him. You, fathers in particular, you are to be grown-up Christians. You are the example. You have to model for everyone what they're supposed to do. And we turn now then to the positive side. Bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Now, as you know, I recently completed 27 lessons on child training. So what else is there for me to say? Well, uh, as you must certainly know by now, and as I heard Pastor Brian Tyre recently say, I might run out of things to say, but I never run out of words. So, lend me your ears and let me repeat myself. Fathers, this training and admonition is your responsibility. To call your wife and their mother your helper does in some ways seem to sell her a bit short. But the reason the Bible addresses fathers here is so that in addition to placing much, if not most, of the daily work of child rearing on the mother, the husband will not be allowed to place the ultimate responsibility on her as well. You may not say, if things go badly, as did our father Abraham, Excuse me, Father Adam. I'm used to saying Father Abraham, but as our Father Adam said, it was the woman you gave me. No, you're responsible. Unfortunately, many Christian men do hand off this responsibility to their wives. But that doesn't relieve them of their culpability before God. Being the head of the house means assuming all the responsibility for the house And, of course, abdicating fathers are common and shameful. So, men, these are the children that you begot. You provided the spark that lit the fire of their eternal soul. This child, these children of yours, will stand before God... And they will spend eternity somewhere. And you are called to train and educate them for the Lord. Pastor and theologian Robert L. Dabney observed, Every parent now transmits to the child he loves, along with the gift of existence, 
the deadly disease of sin. He has conferred on them, unasked, the endowment of an endless, responsible existence. He has also been the instrument, if the unwilling, yet the sole instrument of conveying to this new existence the taint of original sin and guilt. Can the human mind conceive a motive more tender, more dreadful, more urgent, prompting a parent to seek for the beloved souls he has poisoned, the aid of the great physician? More than well-behaved children, fathers, God calls for regenerate children, living children. Because by nature, we are all children of wrath. Children are not innocent. They are immature sinners. And of course, many people are excited about having a baby, but the Bible tells us to take heed and care in what we do with them after they arrive. Moreover, we're not to despise our children. And that can be done in two directions. First, by neglect. And second, by indulgence. We should serve our children, but not cater to them. And so parents, God has given you children. And he gave you children because he wants you to do something with them. He wants and he expects godly children. This is your primary. That word doesn't seem sufficient. This is your primary responsibility. This is why you're here. This is what it's all about. Everything else you do serves this purpose. So from the start, I will be calling upon you, fathers, if you've been guilty of this, to stop blaming others and stop excusing yourself and stop excusing your children. That's that's the beginning. It's agreeing with God regarding what he said about us and about our children. And so if you love your children, you'll do whatever it takes within God's boundaries to turn them into adults that fear the Lord and that are fruitful for his kingdom. We do pretty good at certain things. I mean, again, our children are going to pick up all kinds of things from us and the culture that we live in. And so perhaps you have a very studious child, or perhaps one who's in earnest pursuit of their careers, or who's very talented with their music or athletics, or we could go down a whole list of possible things, things that are good in and of themselves. But what good is that? What good are those things if they don't also love the Lord? That's why the admonition here to us from our Heavenly Father, is that all of this be done in the direction of the Lord. Because apart from that, it'll be futile. In fact, it'll be detrimental. Perhaps you simply need some instruction or some encouragement. But you might also need, as I often do, some rebuke and correction. The responsibility for training children in the admonition of the Lord includes not only the essential outward obedience to the rules of the household, but also the development of affection and respect for parents. 
Respect is the central lesson that children have to learn. And this in turn, of course, if they learn that, will be directed to the Lord, the fear of the Lord. Now, I think one of the greatest sins, maybe the root sin that, that we all deal with, are presumptuous sins. They're a frequent cause of household failures. In fact, I think almost all sin begins here. We presume that somehow God's Word, that God's rules don't apply to us in our house the same way they do to others. Unbelievers, for example, are parents who think none of the Word of God applies to them. Many Christian parents falsely presume that because they're Christians, because God is gracious to them and has been gracious to them, that that's enough. That it doesn't really matter what we do, that it's all about grace, right? After all, He's promised to forgive us so we can live on the edge. But having been presumptuous, we eventually fall. Be sure your sins will find you out. You reap what you sow. Such falls are at best painful and humiliating. And so we must distinguish, however, between biblical presumption, which is called faith. We we should presume upon what God said and what God's promised. We should stand on that. We should act on that. that, So we rightly believe what God's promised, and and we should distinguish that, though, from the sin of presumptuousness, which wrongly assumes that God's blessings are automatic, apart from believing Him and trusting Him and obeying Him. The former, taking God at His word, employs the means that God has ordained for raising godly children. Faith working through love. It takes seriously the duty to train up a child in the fear and admonition of the Lord and to diligently... Teach them the Scriptures. I'll just pause there and ask a rhetorical question. Have you, do you, diligently teach your children the Scriptures? Not do you send them to a school that teaches them the Scriptures. Not do you take them to church where they hear the Scriptures. Those are good things. But do you diligently teach them the Bible? That is what we're called to do. And God says, I'll bless that. That's not mechanical, but it is one of the means, one of the main means that God uses to work faith in our children. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so, some, some people then, again, ignore this, these presumptuous sins, ignore God's ordained means, and expect the benefits anyway. The rules may apply to everyone else, but they don't apply to me. We expect covenant blessings while being covenant breakers. And so these are the presumptuous sins. Now our text says, fathers, bring them up. We have to bring them up because they're down, because they're little, and because they're fallen. They need to be brought up. They need to be brought to a place of maturity. To bring them up is to cause them to grow. This is far more than chronological maturity. Time will take care of that. Moral and spiritual maturity will take self-conscious nurture, a lot of nurture and cultivation. In the parable, for example, of the sower and the seed, Jesus describes it this way. And you know the parable, but let me 
read this. This is where Jesus is explaining the parable to his disciples. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Remember that word that you're going to diligently teach your children. Those by by the wayside are those who hear, and the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the one... The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. Know any children like that? Now this next part of this passage, I remember the first time it it struck me as odd, um, because I know about total depravity. And then when I read this, I thought, how does that fit? Now the ones that fell among, excuse me, not this next one, I'm sorry, I didn't read about the thorns yet. Now the, the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they've heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring, bring no fruit to maturity. But this, this is the one that surprised me. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a good and noble heart, kept it. And bear fruit with patience. Where do you think they got good and noble hearts? I thought we believe in total depravity, right? They're little sinners. Where did good and noble hearts come from? I would like to suggest that they came from those whose hearts had been cultivated and nurtured in the Lord by faithful parents. The difference in cultivated and uncultivated soil is dramatic. You don't even have to ask when you see a big basket full of lovely vegetables. You don't have to say, was that garden cultivated? Or did you just throw some seed out there on the ground and this is what happened? Oh no, we we weeded and we cultivated the soil and we fertilized and we weeded some more and we took care of these things. That's what produced the fruit. That it came from hard work. It came from faithfulness in the work of gardening. And so you have you have been given these children in order that you will cultivate them and bring them up in the way that they should go. That is the job. And so I ask you, are you aware of the infinitely greater responsibility that you have regarding your children versus, let's say, your career or your business? Raising your children children in the fear and admonition of the Lord is the greatest business on earth. Again, R.L. Dabney, writing a hundred years ago. The education of children for God is the most important business done on earth. It is the one business for which the earth exists. To it, all politics, all war, all literature, all money-making ought to be subordinated. And every parent, especially, ought to feel every hour of the day that next to making his own calling and election sure... This is the end for which he is kept alive by God. This is his task on earth. So I ask, what things do you want your children to learn? 
You want them to learn about money, how to handle money, how to make money, about relationships, about hard work, charity, and music? How about worship and evangelism, prayer, and scripture? Fathers, all of this must be engaged in self-consciously for the Lord. It is never enough to raise morally good children, for example, with just good manners. These things are necessary, but they're not sufficient. More than anything else, more than anything else, your children must know the Lord Jesus Christ as both Savior and Lord. And those two are inseparable. Is your family caught up in the mad rush that surrounds us all so that when it comes to this most essential thing, your only answer is that we're so busy that we often neglect the important things. Well, then I simply say to you, as I've had to say to myself, you're too busy. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Our nation and the world are traveling on the broad way. But you have been called to enter by the narrow gate and travel on the narrow way. I find this passage, always have, in some ways, to be one of the most disturbing passages. Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to what? Destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Our text places the responsibility for children squarely at the feet of fathers and by implication mothers. And this, uh, this is emphasized throughout the Bible. This isn't something that can be handed over to the school, regardless of however good the school might be. And while a good church certainly will assist the parents, if all your children get is what is given to them at church, I can promise you it will not be enough. And yet I know parents who, when their children go awry, will blame the school and blame the church. These are your children. And while a good church certainly will assist parents, There's very little that can be done even with a good sermon. So you're going to have to supplement it. And you're going to have to explain it. Training your children is your primary and essential duty. And let me pause and say a word to the unmarried. This is why, ladies, you better be extra picky about who you marry Look at this man. Is this what you want your sons to look like at that age? And this is why, men, you better be extra picky about who you marry. 
Look at this woman. Is this what you want your daughters to act like at this age? This is way more than your boyfriend or girlfriend. This is the future father or mother of your children. And your children will likely be like them. So fathers, anything that works against the soul of your child, anything that works against the soul of your child, including your ambitions and prestige, and anything that works against their knowledge of the Lord Jesus, should be rejected by you. And that's why I say who is teaching your children and what they're being taught at every level of their education are the two most important questions you can ask and answer. You may employ others to help you in this task, but you better conduct a thorough job interview. You better be sure who's teaching and what's being taught. Their proximity to your beliefs is far, far more important than their physical proximity to you. Let me say that again. Their proximity to your beliefs is far more important than their physical proximity to you. John writes in 1 John 2, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is, what? Passing away. And the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Dr. Lloyd-Jones wrote this, The whole emphasis of the world is anti-God, anti-Bible, anti-true Christianity, anti-miraculous, anti-supernatural. Who is going to counter these trends? That is precisely the business of parents. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It demands great effort by the parents at the present time because the focus against the forces against us are so great. Christian parents today have this unusually difficult task of protecting their children against these powerful adverse forces that are trying to indoctrinate them. Remember I said recently in the series on child trainings, everybody's trying to sell you and your children something all the time. Now, this can never be done mechanically or abstractly or in a legalistic manner. We and our children are not, contrary to what we are now told, we are not machines. And, and uh, we and they are rather the eternal image bearers of God. And so, we should remember the old adage is true, the best laid plans of mice and men often go astray. Our systems cannot replace the gospel. We heard about that this morning in Sunday school. The gospel, which is the grace of God at work all the time. Sometimes when I observe some Christian homes, I'm not surprised that the children view religion as oppressive and miserable because it is. Of course, the first thing your children must see, fathers, is that there is no question 
but that you love God with all your heart. And this will be seen in a thousand ways, and it will be seen every day or not seen. Seeing is believing. They see you keeping your commitments and sacrificing for others and doing things that you don't want to do but that you ought to do. They see you loving their mother and serving your neighbors and providing for their family and giving thanks and praying and reading the Bible. Repenting when you sin and asking for for forgiveness. Disciplining your children in love and much, much more. This love for God ought to be the most obvious thing to them. So that no matter where they are, for the rest of their lives, they will say, My father was a faithful and loving Christian man. I don't know what else you're going to leave your children. You may have a big bank account, a big house. You may have fame. You may have fortune. But none of that will be worth anything. But the one thing every one of you can leave to your children is that. And that's worth everything. Fathers, your general conversation should not only be wholesome and godly and temperate, but also filled with Christian wisdom about all kinds of things, about history and current events and politics in every area of life, because that's what you think about. You think about the Word of God and how it applies to these things. Your duty is to teach your children to think about every aspect of the world and life from a distinctively Christian point of view. And that's what it means to be trained and to be admonished in the Lord. And in doing so, you equip them by making them aware that there is no neutrality in this life, but that the Christian faith provides the governing principles For everything, all the time. One good indicator that you're being effective in your training and your admonition is that you receive questions from your children. I was thinking about Deuteronomy 6. We read this. When your son asks you in time to come, saying, this is at the Passover meal, we think of the Lord's table here, What is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. And then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in. To give us the land in which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes. To fear the Lord our God for our good always. That he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Then it will be righteousness for us. If we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded. Your children are going to want to know. Why you do or you don't do this or that when friends or the family next door do it differently? Will you be ready with a solid biblical answer? Because you can't give an answer for the hope that's in you if you don't know the answer first. 
Pray with them and for them. Not just over meals, that's good. At bedtime, great. Family worship, notice I'm assuming you're doing that. But also over situations and concerns and conversations. Let's just pray about that right now. Let's ask the Lord to help us think through this. I'm sorry you had a hard day. Let's pray about it. So that becomes the normal thing in your house. In all of this, it must be done with love and passion. Fathers, you must adorn the gospel and make it attractive. Now, the gospel is attractive by itself. But we either adorn it and make it lovely or we mess it up. We make it ugly. When they see you, they should think that the Christian faith is the most wonderful thing in all the world. That nothing else compares. And when they see your joy and they see your commitment... They will want that for themselves. Of course, for this to happen, it's got to be genuine in you first. You cannot piddle at Christianity. It can't just be fire insurance. If you want them to be grown-up Christians, then you'll have to be a grown-up Christian yourself. The good news is that regardless of where you are today, fathers... It is never too late to follow Jesus, to repent, to mature, to grow, to make progress. God will forgive your failures if you repent of them and turn to Him. He is your Heavenly Father, and He loves you. He has provided all that you need to be nurtured in the Lord. And in fact, you have been admonished just in these last few minutes. So he has nurtured and admonished you. And I'll close with this quote from commentator Brian Chappell, who concludes this way, This uniqueness of each child should not frustrate or bewilder us. Rather, we can can take it as a biological affirmation of the beautiful creativity God has applied to making each of our children special. Not only does the uniqueness of each child affirm individual dignity, it has the additional benefit of driving each uh, conscientious Christian parent back to where we started. Prudent application of scriptural principles discerned by a heart in tune with the Lord. The fundamental step of parenting is a loving relationship with God. This is especially obvious when we are talking about discipline. For if we do not have a grip on grace, we will not have the courage to discipline. But if grace has no grip on us, there will be no constraint on our discipline. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of our children, but we readily confess that we often fall short in our calling to bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. We grow weary in well-doing and easily forget our calling and duty. As fathers, we have not represented you well, and as husbands, we have not always led our wives. O Lord, renew a right spirit within us and give us the strength and hope to be found faithful 
in this most important calling. Help us to truly love our children, even as you have loved us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what are we to do uh, as parents? Where do we begin? Well, let me ask you, have you been self-reliant or have you been God-reliant? Too often we think that we can do these things in our own strength and we soon discover that what God has already said about us is true. We need His supernatural strength. I can do all things. And the sentence doesn't end there, does it? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you believe that? And so as we come to the table of the Lord again and prepare to start a new week of following Him, let us seek the Lord and ask for the Holy Spirit to empower us to do what we cannot do for ourselves, much less for our families. Luke chapter 11, verses 9 through 13, Jesus said, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find, not, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so I want to urge you today, parents, to ask for the Spirit to fill you and enable you and empower you to do what God has called you to do. To be more God-reliant and less self-reliant. So as we come to the table, it's a place where we should remember that we're children too. That we need our Father. We need His strength. We need His enabling power. All your works praise you, O Lord, and your saints give thanks unto you. We open our mouths to bless your holy name. We are especially grateful today for the kind providence you've shown us in times of delight and in times of trial. Indeed, you have worked all things together for our good in Christ. We gratefully receive your salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You have brought us one by one to participate in this covenant community of your saints, to live, love, and serve together. We thank you for all the faithful saints who have gone before us, for fathers and mothers and uncles and aunts and friends and neighbors, pastors and elders as well as strangers, for all those who have adorned the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who have served and prayed, who have lived and proclaimed, who have sacrificed and died. For here we sit as the benefactors of your grace and your saints. Keep us, we pray, that we too might have the blessing of participation in the work of your kingdom, that the generation to come might know your works, the children who would be born, that they might arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget your works. Lord, you have made us a a people before you. You have given us a name. You have given us a place to worship. 
You have given us a people to serve and love. You have fed us and built us up. You have given us friends and families. You have provided food and shelter. You have given us great cause to rejoice and celebrate in Christ. Bless now our feast, our rest, and our fellowship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen.